As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Of course, I'm Anthony Pagnotta, and back with us again this week to help us preview the East Carolina game and recap the California game is Zach Hubbard. Zach, how's it going today, man? Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, uh, not not quite the uh, start to the season, I guess, that we were hoping for. Um, you know, some positives for sure. And I guess we'll get into that game first. We might as well start with the Cal game. You know, when you look at it from the beginning, um, you know, I, I think it kind of had that feel of, of a first game. You know, there were some mistakes really throughout and uh, definitely some nerves that you could see from some of these guys. So, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I guess – you know, just start by telling me, you know, kind of what you saw out there, first impressions of what you saw from this team. Well, I definitely saw a team that was playing its first game. I mean, historically, as much as we don't like to talk about it, uh, Larry Fedora's UNC teams have struggled in opening games, and that was the case this past Saturday, uh, all the same as in past years. I mean, I saw a team that made mental errors. I saw a team that offensively had trouble uh, to get started, to get going. And then there were um, mistakes that were costly. There were costly penalties. There were costly turnovers. Basically, at, at least in terms of the offense, anything that could go wrong outside of an injury did go wrong. Uh, but then you flip the script to defense, and it, it was a very, very good defensive performance. Not enough mm-hmm. to help UNC get the win, but it was a much probably a surprise compared to what UNC fans have seen in the past from a Larry Fedora defense as well as um, kind of something to build excitement on uh, by seeing sort of this new look defense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I thought the interview with John Papuchis, the defensive coordinator, uh, just a couple of days ago, where he said, look, you know, we took some steps forward, but there's still a lot of things that we have to get ironed out. You know, I, I thought that was great. You know, I thought this defense really did look good, but I like the fact that he's looking for more. I mean, you look at the defensive performance Allowed just 17 points. Of course, you know, Cal finishes with 24, so it's going to show 24. But they only allowed 17 because of the pick six. You had 279 yards of total offense, which is very, very good. Um, You know, 160 rushing, which isn't fantastic, but that is a huge step in the right direction for a defense that last year was not even close to to being able to stop the run, especially late in the year. I mean, you got to think, they finished the season allowing 213.2 yards. So 160 is a really, really good start um, for this defense. You know, I I think that's where I'm going to focus for a minute. You know, I thought the ability to get pressure on the quarterback was fantastic. Um, I thought when they brought in the mobile quarterback, uh, I think that bothered the, the defensive line a little bit because they were kind of putting, you know, I mean, they were going after Ross Bowers early and they knew that Ross Bowers was not a guy that's mobile. He was a guy that if there was pressure on him, 
he was either going to take the sack or he was going to force the throw. Once you put in the more mobile quarterback, um, which for some reason I'm I'm uh, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, um, and I didn't have it written down here unfortunately, but um, I you know I think that was what really kind of hurt them a little bit, and that's kind of where some of those rushing yards came from as well. But I thought overall, from a defensive line perspective, I really liked their ability to get into the backfield. I thought the defensive tackles did a great job um, throughout the game, forcing the runs to the outside, which is something that we knew was going to be a key coming in really for the entire season. And, I mean, you look at the linebackers, they really, really stepped up and had probably the best game that that unit has had since I would be willing to say probably about 2012 or 2013. Because even during the 2015 and 16 seasons when this team was playing at some of its highest levels, you know, the linebacking core really struggled being able to tackle in space. I thought, you know, that that Saturday was a step in the right direction. That was something that we've been hoping for for a long time. And then, I mean, the defensive backfield, you know, they weren't really tested all that much. I thought that Cal was able to sort of get into a little bit of a rhythm in the mid part of the game. And I, I thought, you know, KJ Sales was letting a lot in front of him. But at the same time, you know, it is the first game of the season. We saw him struggle a little bit early last season as well. Um, and I thought that the safeties looked fantastic. I thought Miles Dorn played a great game. I thought J.K. Britt um, was all over it. I mean, six tackles, all solo. So. You know, when I look at it overall, I, I think the defensive performance w was where we wanted to be. I mean, you know, I guess what I'm going to ask you first, you know, who were the guys that really stood out to you on Saturday? I mean, I know the one guy that stuck out to me, and I'm pretty sure it's universal, but uh, let, let me see if that's the first guy that you mentioned. Well, there's two guys that I'm going to mention, and mm -hmm. I'm fairly certain that the guy that you're going to mention is going to be either one of those two guys. Okay. But it's uh, defensive lineman Malik Carney mm -hmm. and then outside linebacker Dominique Ross. So there I he is. Both guys there. almost equally had very yeah. impressive games. I mean, you look at Malik Carney, he, was paid, he had tackles for loss, he had sacks. He showed you why he is not only a senior leader of this defensive line, but also a... Uh, a force to be reckoned with and a guy that's going to be, you know, missed later in the season with those um, with those games that he's suspended for. Right. But more for me, it was Dominique Ross. I mean, Dominique Ross as uh, a linebacker, an outside linebacker that's, to my knowledge, has not had significant starting experience for UNC, had four pass breakups on the day. I mean, right. you didn't even see that from your secondary. So it was really refreshing to see a UNC linebacker that was such a presence in the short or intermediate passing defense, which has really been one of the sort of areas that UNC linebackers have struggled with over the years. Right. So it, it was it was just excellent to see all of that come together in terms of defending the pass from that second level. Um, I thought that Cole Holcomb and Jonathan Smith did a great job at at that as well, mm -hmm. um, but I it was really it was really Dominic Ross that just made his presence known, and then uh, also in sort of blitzes they used Dominic Ross and Jonathan uh, Smith often on those as well, uh, going into sort of this new look defense that we saw. Um, I, people may not have noticed that, but there were different sort of more 
exotic blitz looks besides they're just being blitzes uh, on Saturday. So the defense is kind of more becoming what you would call a multiple defense, kind of using not only the traditional 4-3 front, but also a 3-4 look, um, kind of moving that around, being less predictable in terms of um, what they're going to show you in any different scenario. So I certainly appreciated that. That was a step forward um, for UNC defensively. Certainly, I there's really not anything that I can say negatively. Obviously, like you said, sort of the quarterback runs, I don't think that the defense was necessarily, didn't necessarily game prep that as much because Ross Bowers is more of a, right. you know, a pocket passer. And there were some areas where, you know, guys made, or offensively for Cal, um, they made some catches that I thought that the secondary might have you know, been able to defend better right? or had some run plays that I thought maybe the front seven could have defended better. But it, it's largely nitpicking things. If you want to pick anything that kind of sticks out as something that UNC might need to improve on defensively, it was creating turnovers, which right. with that sort of defensive performance, you would assume that there would be at least one or two sort of at least attempts at turnovers. But, I mean, I don't even think they have any fumbles and there were certainly no interceptions so yeah most likely go ahead Oh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, going back to the linebacking core, yeah, Dominic Ross was my guy. And, you know, to ju- just explain how impressive it really was, I mean, four pass deflections, the guy that led the team last year was K.J. Sales with 13. That's just a little over one a game. And Dominic Ross had four in one game. So, and this comes from a linebacker spot. I thought he looked fantastic. Believe it or not, I mean, I thought in pass coverage, he might have been the best guy on the field for Carolina in pass coverage on Saturday. Uh, I, I mean, you know, this you're right. It's a step in the right direction. And this is a guy that really, we didn't really know that he had this pass coverage ability because when we had seen him his freshman year and the little that we saw him last year, he was never really put in that situation. And they throw him in that situation on Saturday and he just adjusted quickly and looked fantastic. I think that gives people a lot of hope because last year that was kind of left in the hands of Cole Holcomb because there really wasn't anybody else to leave it in the hands of. Not only was that because of injuries, it was because there really wasn't a guy that you pointed at in that linebacking core and said, okay, that is a guy that is capable of being there for us when we need him out in pass coverage on a third down or out in the flat, maybe on a second and short. Dominic Ross was that guy on Saturday. Um, You know, you mentioned, I mean, some of the nitpicky things. Yeah, I I mean, turnovers, I think that's going to come with time, though, because I really feel like if this defensive line can continue to get pressure on the quarterback, they're going to eventually start turning the football over. And, you know, guys are, are, are going to be in position. I feel like throughout most of the day, they were in good position. I'll say this for sure. I thought the second half was where their passing game was at its best. It was never really all that great. That was when receivers were starting to catch passes that I thought, okay, there may have been, maybe there was a guy that could have been a little bit closer. Maybe sales could have played a little bit closer up on him. But again, that's the scheme. So, you know, again, that's that's really just Nick Pitt, Nick. Uh, uh, nitpicking stuff. So, 
you know, I I, uh, I looked at the defensive performance really as just just about as good as we could have hoped for, especially in an opening game. And, you know, that's something that I, I feel like a lot of people are not talking about as much. I think most of it, of course, as everything, you know, in life, it seems, is focused on the negative. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll get, you know, we'll shift gears now to that. When you look at the offensive side of the ball, I mean, where, where did you really start? Here, here, I mean, a lot of people right now are knocking on Nathan Elliott. You know, are you still confident that Nathan Elliott is the guy that can lead this offense? Or are you like some of these people at this point that have pretty much already said that the moment Chaz Surratt is available, he should be back in that starting role? You know, I'm not ready to say off one game that Nathan Elliott is not the guy, but there were certainly issues both from having the whole offense fail sort of as a unit, but also just there were issues with the way that Nathan Elliott played. Um, the, fir- the four turnovers certainly don't help. Now, some of those were coming, as Coach Fedora said, some of those were coming from, you know, pressure situations, situations where you're going to get turnovers. Those are just going to happen on occasion where the blocking breaks down and the quarterback tries to make a play, tries to force the issue. But there were uh, probably two or three of those interceptions that were unforced errors, that were errors just from poor quarterback play, either it being from being slow to get the pass off or inaccurate passing from staring down his receivers. So there were issues that Nathan Elliott had sort of in that game. But I think what's important to note is that the staff has confidence in him, had confidence in him all throughout spring and summer and fall. So hopefully this was a a one-off performance. Hopefully this is something that can be adjusted. Um, And also, I think you have to look at before Chasserat comes back, uh, a couple people were calling for one of these true freshmen to come in, which is certainly still an option. I'm not going to say that it's not an option, but you have two true freshmen. um, You have sort of... uh, you have Jace Reuter, which, uh, as of right now, people are unsure about his passing ability and his offense. Right. He certainly looked better than he did coming out of high school um, already, but he's coming from a small high school in Kansas mm-hmm. that played largely you know, a, an option running offense. So people are unsure, as of right now, about his ability to throw them this offense. And then you have Cade Fortin, which is kind of in that number two spot as the number two quarterback. And although he does have a very good uh, can for an arm, he's very accurate, but he hasn't played football since last September due to having a broken leg in his senior year. Right. So I think if people are kind of questioning, why did Nathan stay out there even after pouring those through, even after throwing those four picks? Well, there's, there's not a lot of experience sort of in a college football game behind him. So that, that sort of explains sort of that rationale. Now, Coach Fedora did say this week that it's very likely that Cape Fortin is going to get some snaps. I don't know necessarily if those are going to be, you know, in, in a close game scenario or in the first or second quarter, but I, I certainly think that it's likely that we see one of these freshmen come in and get some snaps against ECU, kind of just to have a guy that has at least a little experience going into UCF and Pitt. Um, Right, But I don't think that the quarterback play was the only issue here. I think that there were right. failures of all over the offense. 
um, which mainly starts with the offensive line, specifically the interior. Uh, did not have a good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were penalties. There were, you know, missed assignments. There were guys that got physically dominated. And really, to start that, you have to kind of uh, give some kudos uh, to the opponent that you're playing, to the Cal defense that played a great game defensively. They knew what UNC was going to do, and they they played it well. So there was there's difficulty up front with that offensive line, and you know creating holes for the running game and giving quarterback enough time to throw. It, it seemed like receivers had trouble getting open, mm-hmm. but also from what I noticed, there were not. They didn't break out all of the routes that they could have used. Um, when you look at the completed passes, they really were only completed about three routes. Nathan Elliott mainly completed passes on those sort of um, screen or swing passes to his mm-hmm. running back. He had a couple that were to some little curl routes by the line of scrimmage, and then he was throwing 50-50 balls to Anthony Ratliff-Williams. And sometimes that worked, as we saw, you know, from a pretty big 44-yard pass down the field. And right. Other times there were drops. I mean, there were instances where, you know, it was a mistake by Anthony Ratliff-Williams not making those 50-50 plays. And sometimes it was just good pass coverage, uh, one-on-one with the cornerback. So I think that there were issues, certainly with all these units. Um, the running backs didn't show a whole lot of burst outside of Jordan Brown. Now, I, I thought that late in the game um, – your two sort of bigger backs and um, Antonio Williams and Javante Williams, they showed you a little bit more in terms of how they run and kind of how they break tackles and, and move the ball forward. But early in the game, it was fairly non-existent. I also think that running the quarterback helped. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, that was one of the things that I kind of took issue with was the play calling in the first half not running Nathan Elliott outside of one um, quarterback power, basically. It's that, it's basically where he takes the snap, kind of fakes like he's, you know, going to bring his arm up to pass, giving the running back enough time to get out and block in front of him. That was the only time that we saw him run in the entire first half. And we know from last year that when he was at his best, was when he was able to sort of, you know, take those hits. That was what kind of got him going, passing the football, and it was very similar again on Saturday. I mean, at at the end of the day, Nathan Elliott actually led this team in rushing with 58 yards on 10 carries. So, you know, the running game wasn't really working out all that well. I thought in the first half, you know, anything that looked like it could have been a zone read was a straight hand. And it seemed like Cal was pretty much eating that up. I thought there were opportunities for Elliott to keep the ball and, you know, be able to break out on the edge. And the coaching staff just did not go to that. Um, The deep passes, yeah, that was one of the issues for Elliott. I feel like that's kind of been an issue for him um, in games where he's started out struggling or been a bit uncomfortable. He did it against Miami last year. And the problem with those 50-50 balls is, okay, yeah, sometimes it's going to work out when you throw it to Anthony Ratliff-Williams. But there were a lot of times on Saturday where Cal had that red. Cal knew that was coming. And their cornerbacks did a great job of taking that away. You know, even the two grabs, the one for the 44-yard reception and then the one for the touchdown, 
were both just spectacular plays by Anthony Ratliff-Williams because the corners were right there. They were ready for that. And, you know, I like what you said. You know, they didn't really use a multitude of routes. It was really just the same maybe four or five routes that we saw throughout most of the entire game. And I think that was what allowed them to be prepared for it. None of the receivers really were able to create separation. I think with a more complex route tree, that could definitely open that up. Um, I mean, the fact that only three receivers caught passes on Saturday is not good. They caught a combined six of the 15 completions. That means the running back unit was the unit that caught the most passes. Uh, that That's not good. Um, Carl Tucker, as we know, was supposed to be involved as a tight end. We didn't see him with a single catch. So it's just things like that that just kind of leave you scratching your head. And, you know, guys like Carl Tucker or – or even, you know, Thomas Jackson. These are supposed to be the safety valves. And the safety valve it seen for Nathan Elliott was to throw it over the top. Now, I don't know if that was because of coverage or if that's, you know, not what he's that that's not in where he his reads. I, I don't really know. Um, but you know, that's something that I feel like a lot of people are frustrated with, and in part that that's because of the play calling. Um, I mean, I, I took issue with the first two drives of the game, the third and five, deciding to throw the long ball to Ratliff Williams I, on third and five. You should be looking to uh, get to the sticks and get a first down, especially after your defense did such a great job to get them off the field. Um, and then, I mean, you look at the second drive, it's similar stuff. I mean, you know, you, yeah. It was a loss of one on the first carry of the drive. Second carry is an eight-yard gain to make it third and three. And I understand that there was a mismatch on the outside, as Kapilovic explained earlier this week. But my thing is, why are you throwing that to a running back? Would you not want your running back, especially a guy with the size that Anthony or Antonio Williams has on him, out in front to block? Why would that pass not go to a wide receiver? So it's things like that where you're just kind of left scratching your head, especially in a game where you feel like the defense really played up to the standard that most people have been trying to put them at for the last couple of years. And the offense, I mean, the offensive line, like you said, and you nailed it, the interior of that offensive line really, really struggled. Nick Polina was having trouble the entire day. Uh, J.J. McCargo was okay, not great. And then the right guard spot, man, the switching in and out, I think is really, really what got to those guys. Neither one of them were able to really establish a rhythm, and I think that's eventually what ended up hurting them down the line. And, I mean, even the offensive tackles, maybe that has to do with the switching in and out. Maybe, you know, not having that communication, you know, especially in blitz situations, they were really bothered. And there were times where Cal pretty much came unblocked off the edge. Um, I mean, there were times guys would come up the middle unblocked because Polino and uh, and William Sweet were doubling a guy on the outside. That's, you know, it's things like that that you've just got to get worked out. But again, you know, one thing that I do caution people, this was a first game. This is a first game. These types of things are going to happen when literally the only other people that you've seen across from you on the other side of the ball are your own teammates. You learn their tendencies. You learn the tendencies of your own defense, and that allows you to get set in your ways. Cal did a great job, and one thing that we heard going into the Cal game from Coach Sean Papuchis was that, look, they're going to show you multiple defenses. Larry said it as well. 
they are going to show you multiple defensive looks. This is not a team that sticks in the 4-3. They will go to a 4-2-5. They will go to a 3-4 type look. And they did a great job of rearranging guys and, and sending different blitzes that I think just threw our guys off. I think Nathan Elliott, you know, at that point was a little rattled and wasn't really able to kind of point out some of these things that were going on. I mean, you saw early in the game, William Sweet was pointing out a lot of the blitzes that were coming. As the game went along, that sort of disappeared. So I don't know what exactly happened there. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, not the performance that we were hoping for from an offensive line that I think as the preseason went along, as, as training camp went along, we thought, okay, this unit's going to take a step forward. That was not what we were expecting to see um, from them out of the gate. So, um, yeah, any anything else really quickly on Cal before we move on and sort of look at ECU? Um, no, I think that should be it. Uh, oh, one thing I did want to mention, you mentioned the Cade Fortin thing. I, I was one of those ones that did say that I wanted to see him in the game. And I want to clarify for any fans that have seen that tweet or think, you know, what, what you're going to assume. I think, you know, and I don't know, I'd like to hear your opinion on this too. I would have liked to see him for one drive in the first half. If anything, just coming in and handing the football off for three plays and a punt. Uh, if that was what it took, just to kind of get Nathan Elliott calmed down. Because I don't think people realize just how good this defense played. It almost played good to a fault in the first half where they were getting that Cal team off the field so quickly that there was no time to stand on the sideline and make adjustments if you were Keith Eckendorf or Chris Kapilovic with your quarterback. You know, Elliott would have a bad drive, go to the sideline, get a quick little, you know, back and forth maybe with Coach Cap, and was right back out there because the defense had taken care of their business and the offense had the ball back. You know, I would have liked to see Fortin come in, just slow everything down for Nate and, and really to show the rest of the guys on the team that, hey, look, you know, Nate's our leader, but look, it, we're not going to be afraid to pull you guys out if you're struggling for someone else. You know, we are going to rotate other guys in. Um, you know, I, I thought seeing him for one drive wouldn't have been that bad um, just to kind of relieve a little bit of pressure and then maybe put and, and put Elliot right back out there, uh, you know, after a minute to just calm down and collect his thoughts. So, you know, what what would you have thought if if if, if you would have seen that? I know there were a lot of people calling for that. Um, but you know, would that have been something that you would have said, okay, I understand where they're going here. Uh, well, certainly I like you was one of the ones that wanted to see him. If not just because your starting quarterback had thrown through four interceptions in that game, right? Bad game. So when you have something like that, sometimes you need to make a switch just to, you know, find a jolt on your offense and allow your starting guy that's having a bad time you know, time to readjust himself and reevaluate what he's doing in his play. Um, I understand, like I said, why they did not put him in there. They felt, at least in that instance, that Nathan Elliott gave them the best chance. But right. like you said, I would have liked him to get some experience. I want him to uh, Kate Forden, if he really is, you know, the guy that's going to be the number two quarterback, mm -hmm. to kind of be able to adjust to that noise out there, to be able to adjust calls that are being made. You know, like you said, he doesn't have to go out there and, you know, pass it 10 times in a drive. He can go out there and hand it off a couple times and maybe make some simple check downs just right. so he can get comfortable. Because I think 
based on what I've heard and how he did in the fall, this is a guy that can perhaps contribute on those situations. And with the mm-hmm. new redshirt rule, you almost hope that you get one or both of these freshmen some some game time experience against uh, some of these, you know, maybe not conference opponents, but sort of in games where you have a good lead or where it's close to the end of the half. You want to see what these guys can do. You want to see what you have in these guys. Right. So I, I certainly was not opposed to him coming in. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. No, I feel you. And there, there's definitely some guys that I know were not happy with the fact that people were calling for him to come in. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know one of the guys asked me, do you think that he would have led that same type of comeback? I, I, I don't think so. And that's not what I was trying, what, what I'm trying to say. And I don't think that's what you're trying to say either. But, you know, having him come in there and, and really just take, you know, give Nate a minute to breathe. And like you said, getting him some experience just in case something really does go wrong with injuries because as we learned last year you never know when an injury is going to hit you know yeah I I think that that could have been helpful but at the same time I understand where they were going with you know what they what they did sticking with Nathan Elliott so um yeah with that I will we'll turn to East Carolina you look of course we just talked about it but I mean here's the, here's the thing now how are they going to iron this out for this game in specific this these offensive woes that they've had you know I I I think running the football is a key but it has to start with the offensive line Well yeah it certainly has to start with the offensive line establishing themselves gaining confidence gaining um I guess a, a sense of rhythm with one another. That was really something that mm-hmm. you'll see coaches say often is that in that first game, there's going to be rust on your team as a whole. Excuse me. And then also you have to look at that. I, I know that we've often mentioned uh, that many believe that this year's offensive line is going to be more talented than last year's, mm-hmm. but this is a unit that is starting four new guys. Right. I mean, you have, Nick Colino that has experience, certainly. You have, you know, your two tackles in William Sweet and uh, Charlie Hack that certainly have experience, specifically Hack playing last year. Right. You're bringing in, this is a new unit. You had J.J. McCargo that played some last year and looked good at limited times, but he is a new starter. Then you look at that right guard spot, you essentially have two guys that you have rotating uh, and probably will still rotate for a while until that gets sort of, until one guy pushes forward. But this is a very new offensive line, a line that kind of has to learn how to communicate. Like we said, there were some instances where I don't think the play calling particularly put the offensive line in a good position to be successful. I thought that there were play calls where they ha- where they pulled linemen uh, to help on a play that the defense kind of read and right. used to their advantage. I-, I think that's more of a play calling instance where the offensive line didn't have success than it is specifically lack of execution or lack of communication. Um, But I I think that that's something that has to be ironed out this week in terms of establishing yourself both in run and pass blocking and establishing confidence. I think that's the biggest thing for this week is after a performance like last week, guys are going to be a little down on themselves. So this is the time that you kind of erase what happened last week. You step forward into this game and you establish some confidence. You know, they're really – yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and finish that thought. Uh, there really couldn't be a better game, in my opinion, this week to do that with than um, this ECU team. This is an ECU team that 
is not the ECU team that we've seen in past years that was kind of a, a sneaky good team sort of in the group of five conferences. This is a team that is really not that good. I mean, they had a, a rough opening game losing to mm-hmm. FCS, NCA, and T. Um, and I think this is a really good game, despite it being in Greenville for the offense to get confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I was uh, what what I was gonna say was, you know, you looked and and I I talked to one of the guys, one of the Torio fans, and he told me, you know, I don't understand uh, why we weren't running up the middle more. You know, that seemed to work later in the game, and I, I just put it to him simply, I, I thought it did work later in the game. I thought Jordan Brown got going uh, in that second half. I mean, only six carries for him was kind of confusing. I thought that he would see more. I'm kind of shocked that Antonio Williams got 17 carries. And even Antonio Williams, though, started getting going late. And and that was where, you know, he was finally able to break out and get into the end zone. And some of those runs came up the middle, but that was when they started to wear down that defensive line. Yeah, I put it simply to him, the holes were not there in that first half. If you go back and watch it, there were plenty of instances where they were trying to run the ball up the middle. It just was not there. And, you know, to me, if anything, I thought they should have tried to get the ball to the edge a little bit more. I wanted to see a little bit more of Javante Williams because I feel like he's that guy that has the ability to run that ball to the outside, has the speed. And when we did see him in there, I, I thought he looked pretty decent. You know, but the the key is, yeah, like you said, and East Carolina, they're they're going to change things up too. They're they're mostly, if I remember online, it's kind of confusing. I think they're a multiple look defense, but the way that their roster is set up is a four-two-five. But that defensive line last week did a fantastic job against North Carolina A&T. Now our offensive line, just based on you know. FBS, FCS, we should be better than that offensive line. We should be. And I really and truly believe we are. The key is going to be protecting the quarterback, keeping those guys off of Nathan Elliott, allowing him to set his feet. Because once we started to see that in that second half, primarily in the fourth quarter, the play from Nathan Elliott was a lot better. You know, when he has his feet set and can really establish himself – He ends up making more accurate throws. He's able to throw the deep ball a lot better. When he is scrambling in the pocket and having to make those throws off of one foot or off balance, it is is not good. And that, that is exactly what we saw in the first half, and that's what led to three interceptions. The fourth interception, you know, was on him. I don't think the first three were all on the offensive line. If you're Nathan Elliott, you've still got to make throws, but... You know, look, that, that's got to be a key in, in this game is that offensive line has to step up and perform well. They have to win that battle in the trenches because that's going to allow us to run the football, which is going to allow us to open up that deep passing game that we like to use so much. And, you know, one of the other things offensively that I want to see, I want to see these guys, these wide receivers, I want to see them step up. I want to see them, you know, getting out there, running crisp routes, to, you know, demanding the football, you know, um, I, I thought Diami Brown, you know, the one time that we saw him thrown to in that game was a miscommunication on a route. Other than that, we didn't hear from him really the entire time. 
Now, I would have liked to see them try to give him the ball maybe in a screenplay situation um, because I know from when I watched him last year in the uh, Charlotte kickoff game here in Charlotte, they ran that rather commonly with him, and he is very good at making guys miss and getting up the field on screenplays. So that would have been something that I would have liked to see, but you know, mainly, you know, I, I think the offensive line, if, if they can protect the quarterback and open up those running lanes, this offense will move more smoothly. And really, that's all we're looking for. We don't need that offense that we had back in 2015 that was scoring 45, 48 points a game. We just need an offense that is able to come out and give us even, you know, 28 31 points that that's kind of where we need to be that would be a step in the right direction for an offense that has struggled for pretty much almost almost two years now since Matt Collins injury back in 2016 so um but yeah I mean when you look at that now on the defensive side of the ball there's a guy that played last week and you mentioned him as one of your players of the game and he had a fantastic game he will not play this week so the question is, how are they going to adjust? Malik Carney now is suspended. He will be suspended for this week's game, next weekend's game against UCF, and then the Pittsburgh game. He'll be back for the Virginia Tech game, or no, he'll be back for the Miami game. Excuse me, Miami is the Thursday night game on the 27th, and then he will miss the Virginia Tech game after that. So, you know, when you look at it right now, um, you know, some minor guys will return. Uh, Jonah Melton returns on the offensive line, so that might help a little bit if they need him, but I think he's more of just a depth guy. And then Jack Davidson, the walk-on quarterback, will return. He really won't have much of an impact at all, um, maybe in his career at Carolina, so not huge. But Malik Carney gone on that defensive line. You know, you look at it, eight, eight, eight tackles. Uh, against Cal, all of them were solo tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss. You know, when you when you look at the guys that are there, who is that guy that you think is going to step up into that role or that you're hoping can step up into that role for Carolina this weekend? Well, I think that you have to look at um, not only who's going to take his place, but who also is going to be on this defensive line. And in terms of who's going to take his place, it's any combination of probably three guys, and it probably is going to be a rotation. Right. Uh, in Alan Cater, Jake Lawler, and Chris Collins, those final two, and Lawler and Collins were the two that defensive coordinator John Capucha specifically mentioned. Um, both are guys that are young guys. Uh, Jake Lawler, uh, tr- um, redshirt freshman, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Collins, true freshman, but very explosive off the edge. Uh, very good guys with leverage and strength. But speed is kind of their main weapon for both of them. And right. I think that's what kind of gives them similarity to Malik Carney. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. uh, not having him there uh, was always going to be a loss, but I think that what you have to do is mitigate that loss as best as you can. I, I think that you can't ask these guys to come in and put up those same numbers, but you need them to not be a detriment at that position. Right. Uh, and you also need the other guys on the defensive line to step up. You're going to need Jeremiah Clark to do more. You're going to need Jalen Dalton to do more. You're going to need Jason Scrobage to do more. And then you're going to need Tamon Fox on the edge to right. do more at, at that defensive end position. Um, and uh, Tamon Fox is a guy that, you know, have a lot of hype kind of in his freshman year and then last year it didn't really materialize last year but 
with Carney being out in games that Carney's going to be out and Tamon Fox is going to be sort of the main defensive end on this line, he's going to have to be the guy that, that gets pressure, that sets the edge, that gets to the quarterback more than anyone else um, when you're just rushing four. So it's on kind of those young guys and Jake Lawler and Chris Collins to mm-hmm. kind of fill in that spot and kind of show what they've got in this defense. But it's also on other guys, probably specifically Tamon Fox and Tyler Powell, if he's playing over there in that defensive end role, to, right. to step up and kind of um, cover the loss that is Malik Green. Yeah, I, I, Tyler Powell, like you mentioned, what they've said is pretty much where he's needed, he will play. He can play both positions. He came into Carolina as a defensive end, has put on the weight to be able to play inside when they needed him there these last couple of years due to injury and really just, frankly, lack of depth. And now they're going to probably move him out there to defensive end, especially when Malik Carney is not here. I thought he played well on Saturday as well. Um, and, you know, he was one of those guys that was kind of rotated in at the defensive tackle position mainly. Um, but, yeah, no, you mentioned it. You know, Jake Lawler and Chris Collins, they really fit that mold that Malik Carney is. The one that hurts the most not being here with Malik Carney being suspended is Tyrone Hopper, who is still suspended as well. He is a guy that really, he he is that same mold as Malik Carney, an athletic defensive end that uses his speed to get into the backfield, a guy that was formerly a linebacker exactly like Malik Carney. So, you know, that, that one really, really hurts, and it would be great to have him there. But with him being out, you know, you've got Jake Lawler and Chris Collins who can be those guys that are similar to what Malik Carney brings you the speed off the edge. The other option, you know, if you go with Powell or if you go with Alan Cater, they're going to be guys that are going to be more, you know, they're going to bull rush. They're going to use their size to try to get past the defensive ends. And, you know, I wonder how, you know, how well that's going to work, having two guys like that as opposed to a speed guy off of the edge. You know, we saw it a few years ago back when Mikey Bart was the guy that was there, was was the biggest sack guy on that defensive line, you know, finished with six and a half sacks. To me, that's kind of what it would resemble is two physical guys coming off the edge, not really those speed guys off the edge. So... You know, it seemed like speed really worked in that first game against ECU. I think it could work again. So I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm interested to see what type of role Jake Lawler has, what type of role Chris Collins has. Two guys that, from my knowledge, did not play on Saturday. I don't remember seeing either one of those guys out there. And if they were out there, they really didn't do anything overly significant. So it is going to be interesting for sure. Um, how this defensive line adjusts, but after what I saw in that first game, I think the guys around them are playing at a good enough level that, yeah, you have to feel confident that, yes, this team can get the job done with Malik Carney out of the lineup. The other big storyline, and this seems to be the storyline right now, is that, uh, you know, Fedora, this is a key game in the Fedora era because I feel like, This is the crossroads of the Fedora era. This is kind of where we're going to find out just what direction this program is going in. You know, East Carolina comes in on, I mean, they're one of those teams that is heavily trending down. At this point, after last week, the poor time management at the end of the game, 
unless he really just turns this thing around miraculously, it would seem that Scotty Montgomery is on his way out of Greenville at the end of the season. And you look at this roster, this roster is not as talented as it's been in the past. You know, their quarterback, Reed Herring, is a guy that's going to spread the football around. We kind of know that. Um, you know, if you look at the stats from last year, if you look at the stats from the first game of the year, you know that they can't really run the football all that much. It's pretty much just going to be passing the football to guys that are talented, but nowhere near some of the guys that we saw that set records at ECU. Guys like Justin Hardy, who came through, and guys like Zay Jones. Those types of receivers aren't on campus anymore. I mean, Austin Prohl's brother, Blake, was probably their best receiver last week. So, you know, and that's a redshirt freshman that's coming off a major knee injury. He's your best receiver, and outside of maybe one other guy, you really weren't able to find anybody else. You know, it's it's this team is not a team that we should be afraid of, and, and it's not a team that we should be worrying about having to beat. We should be able to walk in there and come out with a victory. My question, I guess, is, is this a must-win game for Larry Fedora in your mind? I think this is absolutely a must-win game. Mm -hmm. I, I would almost go so far as to say that it's a must-win comfortably game, if you can say that. This is a team, like you said, that is trending down heavily. It is one of the worst right. teams in Division One, if not the worst, um, coming off a really bad loss, projected to be bad, um, and has shown that so far. Now, their defense played better than they expected it to uh, in that game against NCA&T, but that was they kind of should have against right. a team of that calendar that's kind of a, a middle-of-the-road FCS team. So even really the only advantage that I see for ECU going into this game is that it's in Greenville. Greenville is a hostile environment no matter who you are. Uh, their fans are going to be rowdy. They're going to be excited to see their team. And I know that the ECU players as well are going to give probably their best game because they're playing UNC. But this is a game, just in, in talent and coaching, that, you and sh that UNC should win handily, that mm -hmm. UNC should win by double digits. So I certainly think that this is a crossroads, depending on how this game goes, right. of what uh, the Larry Fedora era sort of is going to be defined by. Uh, I, I think that we said that last that uh, last week's game was also supposed to be part of that in terms of if this team could get over the hump of beating a Power Five opener. Right. That didn't happen. There were there's a lot of chatter going around about Larry Fedora about Larry Fedora's sort of status with UNC about his job security. I think it's still a little bit early to say that to say anything about that definitively especially when you look at um, Larry Fedora's contract and the buyout he has this year he would yep. be paid 14.5 million if he left and that would be due to him basically immediately um, so I think it's a little early before that we signaled the end of the Larry Fedora era in terms of just based on one game but I, I certainly think that this game and then other games going forward become that much more important i think for me and for carolina fans the hope was a bowl game it was a winning record right um so that's at least six wins and i think that's still sort of the the baseline for how larry fedora and this staff and this team perform in 2018 and one loss does not sort of end that um, yeah oh yeah there's 
Yeah, no, you. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, uh, I certainly think, like we said, there's a lot that needs to be fixed, and there's a lot of uncertainty. I think there's sort of to answer a question that I sort of missed answering before in the quarterback position. There, there's uncertainty there. I think that you have to at least be optimistic. Mm-hmm about um, Nathan Elliott, about the true freshman quarterbacks, but I don't think that you can necessarily be confident, if that makes sense. I don't think that there's anything proven in terms of having a quarterback to lead this offense. Even when when Chasseret comes back, when he comes back in that fifth game, this will not be automatically his team to lead. It's still something that he'll have to fight for, but it's also Nathan's job that he has to fight to keep. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions and a lot of things that still need to be hammered out, things that right now there aren't a lot of answers to in terms of will the, will there be hammered out. I think you have to look at this is a team that has only played one game, and there's right. only one data point that we can go off of to determine how good or how bad this team and this offense will be. Um, so I, I think there definitely needs to be some some wait-and-see sort of mentality but like you said, this this game against this ECU team has to be sort of a, a confidence booster in any capacity. I I think my expectation and my sort of standard for this game would be at least a double-digit win, if not 20 points, something along those lines. The offensive line has to be better. The running backs have to be better. The wide receivers have to be better. And obviously the quarterback has to be better. So that's sort of my standard. That's how I go into this game. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you talked about it, and you said, you know, coming in, it, it, it was kind of one of those things, one of those check marks to get that win out of the gate, to beat an FBS opponent. I, I mean, it didn't happen, but I, I'm not with these people. I'm like you. I'm not with these people that want him, uh, that said, okay, this game showed us it's time for him to go. Uh, that that's I, I'm not on that level yet because – the fact that they fought back, and let's be real, that was pro- that that was an onside recovery. Um, you, you know, the flag on the play and the the review, I think you know it, it was probably the right call that he got there a little too early. But first of all, the the thing that needs to be talked about is the fact that that's a rule. That makes no sense in my opinion because what's the point of having onside kicks? There's that that's what everybody does on an onside kick. You're always going to go to block the guy to try to get it to someone that can catch the ball. You know, Kane Roberts is really not that guy that's going to be the hands guy most of the time. He's not the guy that's going to be able to catch that football. He's there to block and try to, you know, create some havoc to get that ball, you know, free and, and picked up by one of his guys. Also, I think if he had touched the ball, it would have been before 10 yards. So that would have been illegal touching. But, um, you know, as we know, our luck with, uh, with with openers, our luck with onside kicks in specific are terrible. So, um, yeah, we'll move past that because I don't need to get angry again. But, um, I mean, with the Fedora, yeah, this is the game that I think will show people just where he is at right now. If, if this is a loss then I can understand where people are going to be frustrated. I can understand the people starting to look towards the future. And I'm telling you, that $14 million buyout right now looks like something that could deter them. If they lose this game on Saturday, I don't think that will de- that should deter the athletic director. Let me correct myself. I don't think that should. Will it? 
I don't know. But to me, a loss to a team that is right now in as bad a shape as ECU is, I, to me, yeah, there's no way that that wouldn't put him firmly on the hot seat. And it would take a, a miraculous turnaround for, for them at that point to even make a bowl game. Um, I, you know, this is one of those wins that you just feel like you need. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, saying the season's over. I saw people in the first half of the game saying the season's over. This team's going nowhere. Um, I, I'm not on that level. I, I think there's still a lot of time in this season, and it's was the first game of the year against an opponent that I think from most people's perspective was kind of like the record predictions for this team. That was a game against Cal where we just really didn't know what to expect. It was kind of all over the board. There were some people that had us beating them. There were other people that didn't have us beating them. And the differences in score were all over the place. So those two teams, I think, were very similarly matched up. I think Cal is about in the same area that we are right now in terms of the uh, the area of the program. Um, you know, which, I mean, you could take that as good or bad. That's up to you. It's kind of how you determine where you see Cal at. But, you know, I, I think if they, if we can go into Greenville, win, I'm just wanting to get out with a win because I know the fact that the last two times that we played them, we have not looked good against them. I'm just wanting to get a win in state show recruits that look, you know, we can beat one of the teams in our state that is ahead of us on the recruiting trail in the 2019 class right now. That's kind of where I'm at. But at the same time, you know, I would I would like to be where you're at, at the, at, you know, and say, look, I, I want to win by double digits. I, I just, you know, at this point, get one win, walk away, you know, go with the, the famous phrase that Larry Fedora likes to say, 1-0 this week. That that's kind of what I think this team's mindset has to be going into Saturday. So um, I guess with that, we'll turn to the official predictions. You know, as you did last week, you can give your score prediction. I'm going to do the betting line, so uh, I'll let you start out. Uh, well, I I guess just being somewhat hopeful, but also just looking at these teams, I think that this will be a Carolina win. I think it'll be a Carolina win, probably by double digits by like I predicted. Um, I don't expect this ECU team to do very much, especially with the defense looking as good as it has and with their offense looking as bad as it did last week. I think this is going to be a major mismatch um, for the ECU team. Their best hope, really what their offense is based around, is passing the football. So their best hope is that the UNC secondary just doesn't show up, which I don't think will happen. Um, if I had to give a score prediction, I'm going to say 31-10 to 10 UNC victory. Um, I, I think that neither team will score a full punch as both have work to do offensively, but I just don't think ECU is going to have much of a chance in this game. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the, the line right now. At this point, it is at uh, minus 16.5 uh, for, for Carolina. So, you know, when I look at it, I mean, 16 and a half. So basically 17 is kind of where you would be looking at as a score. 17 or above uh, would be the margin. 
you know, I look at it and man, you know, this, this rivalry against them, if you want to call it a rivalry, I don't even really think it is that they're just kind of that annoying team that's, has beaten us the last two times. You know, I, I look at it and I think that line is at, it may have grown just a little bit too high. I was kind of on it when it was the 14 uh, or 14 and a half, maybe even. Um, but I think it's going to be more along those lines of a 14 point game. It might get up to 17, but right now I would lean with the over. I'm still going to take Carolina outright to win the game. I still think we're the better football team, but it, there's just something about this game that to me feels like it's it's not going to be a blowout because I feel like, look, we're talking about how important this game is for for Fedora, how important this game is for this year's team. You know, ECU's coming in with this very similar circumstances. I think that Scotty Montgomery's job security is, a, is, is far worse than Larry Fedora's at this point. He's pretty much all butt fired, in my opinion. And that's the only difference, though. I think that these those players want to win for their coach. Those players want to get their first win of the year. And for them, they want to come in and, and prove that they can beat a team in the ACC, a Power 5 opponent that they've really played extremely well against in school history, especially the last two times that they've seen them. For Carolina, there should be that extra motivation of, hey, this team has beaten our program the last two times that they have played, and both times were pretty embarrassing for the program because we feel like we are on a bigger level than they are. We should be playing a better level of football than they are. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think this team should come out motivated, the Tar Heels, that is. They should come out motivated to say, hey, look, we need to make a statement. Last week, you know, the first half was not where we wanted to be. The second half was a little bit more like it. We need to come out and prove to everybody that's saying right now, this is the same team as last year, that, hey, this is not the same team as last year. Last week was a little bit of a slow start, but this team has moved forward, and it's a totally different football team. So, um, yeah, any other any other loose ends you want to tie up as we close up this uh, this East Carolina preview of the, of the podcast? One final thing that I forgot to mention from last week that I think needs to be short up for this week, another one of those sort of hidden things that you don't think about that add up over time is the penalties. Right. UNC was penalized heavily last week. They had 13 penalties for 124 yards. That's 124 yards that they gave to the other team, either offensively or defensively. I think that needs to be cleaned up that week, uh, this week rather. Uh, against a team that's going to be chippy with you, it's going to that's probably going to be one of the biggest challenges. For sure, yeah. ECU is going to going to provide for the Tar Heels is that they're going to be mad, they're going to be playing hard, they're going to be aggressive, and I think that this is a big test for UNC to show that they can have discipline, that they can have mental toughness, that they can have leaders on this team to kind of shepherd those younger guys and kind of rebuke them when they make mistakes. So I think that's going to be a big key, not only this week, but going forward into the season, uh, kind of a defining factor for how the season is going to go is cleaning up those um, penalties, cleaning up those turnovers, and playing more of a clean game than you would see um, that we saw in this first week. Yeah, that's one of the main frustrations that I've seen from many people when it comes to the Larry Fedora era is really these untimely 
penalties that can be avoided. You know, there were a couple that you can question. The pass interference early in the game on KJ Sales, you can question. But at the same time, look, you've got to do everything that you can to avoid those. If there are going to be penalties, it happens every game. But cutting those numbers down, getting that inside of 50 yards, getting those penalty numbers down to four or five, that's kind of where we've got to be at. Because, yeah, it's like you said, these these units are far from perfect. This is not Alabama. This is not Clemson. These are not units that are loaded with with, with the talent of four and five stars to where, yeah, if you take a penalty, you can come back and, and make the plays necessary to erase that penalty. As we saw last week, they did not have the ability to do that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So, yes, being smart on the field. And as you mentioned, against ECU, you know things are going to get chippy. There are going to be a lot of guys that are going to be out there talking. And it's it's don't let it get to you. You've just got to be smart out there. And look, you know, if as long as you take care of the football on the offensive side, penalties are the one thing that is an that that are unforced errors that can hold you back. So Try to cut down on those. Couldn't agree more, and I think we'll be all right. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Listen and subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app or TuneIn.com. Follow the blog on Medium.com. Just search Heel Tough Blog. I want to thank Zach for jumping on with us as he will each week during the season to help recap the previous week and preview the upcoming week. Saturday's game at East Carolina will kick off at 3.30 on ESPNU. Jones Angel will be on the call for the Tar Heel Sports Network if you are radioing the game. That's 99.3 FM and 11.10 AM WBT in Charlotte. 97.9 FM and 1360 AM WCHL in Chapel Hill and 106.1 FM WTKK in Raleigh. For others, please check your local listings. That will do it for tonight. And as always, go Tar Heels!